Chapter Nine of the Riddle of the Purple Emperor. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. The Riddle of the Purple Emperor by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. Chapter Nine: The House with the Shuttered Windows. Cleek, accompanied by the faithful Dollops, did go down to Hampton that very day and put up as arranged at the Hampton Arms. He travelled as Mr. George Headland, a commercial traveller for beer from London, with an inveterate taste for gossip. He speedily learned that since the return of Lady Margaret to Chain Court, the house had been shut up worse than ever, for hardly anybody had seen Miss Chain, and no one would go near the estate because of the noise. What noise? Cleek's ears pricked up. A queer moaning noise, sir. It fair beats me to describe it, but it just lifts the air off your head. You go down the lane past the gates one dark night and hear that sound. I'll wager you'd make for the railway station as fast as your legs could carry you. Hmm, now what can that noise be? Cleek mused. An old trick to frighten away the superstitious peasants? Old as the hills, that is. I'll hear that noise for myself before I'm many hours older, or I've lost my sense since the vanishing cracksman days. But it was not until the next day that his desire was granted, for Dollops, having been left to himself for a few hours, contrived to get a scratch meal. This had apparently consisted of pickled walnuts, sheep's feet, steak and kidney pudding, and some jam puffs, with an additional helping of nuts as dessert. The effect of this startling combination may be imagined. The result was a fit of indigestion which sent Cleek pounding down the lane at ten o'clock that night to find the nearest doctor. It was not until he was well within sight of Chain Court, standing shuttered and dark, that he remembered the innkeeper's words of the morning before. He slackened speed a moment in the dark, and all at once, as if from the ground beneath his feet, there issued one of the most horrible and inexplicable sounds that could be imagined. It was neither human nor animal though it contained something of both. No instrument or mechanical thing could possibly have emitted it. And Cleek stood stock still, the very hairs on his head quivering at the sudden unearthly wail. It ceased as quickly as it had begun, and brought back to the immediate needs of his protégé, he went on his way the memory of that horror-haunting sound still ringing in his ears. Half an hour later he was back with Dr. Verrill, a stiff and unyielding young man, who evidently held the House of Chain and all its ways in the greatest reverence. He refused to discuss the subject of the queer sounds, and as he very soon concocted a nauseous dose that had the desired effect on Dollops, there was nothing else to do but to allow him to proceed on his way home. 
On the following day Mr. Narkom arrived at the Hampton Arms. The presence of the great inspector brought Mr. Roberts, bursting with pride to be allowed to speak on any terms with the great official. He clearly had no recollection of ever having seen Mr. George Headland before, and had anyone told him that he was in the presence of the very man who had fetched him on a wild goose chase that night nearly a month before, he would absolutely have refused to believe the evidence of his own senses. Mr. Narkom, however, listened to all he had to say on the subject of that escapade, and commended him for his promptness in obeying the summons. Another visitor came also to the little inn, and that was Sir Edgar Brenton. "'I am thankful you've come,' he said, addressing Mr. Narkom, though he had greeted Mr. Headland civilly beforehand. "'I cannot fathom the mystery at all. I returned to Chain Court to make another attempt on the place, but found that the broken window is now barred and shuttered, so there is evidently still someone in the place. Don't you think you could take the law into your own hands and force an entry? Mr. Narkom, when I think that my dear girl may be kept there a prisoner, I go nearly mad with terror of what they may do to her, the devils. Mr. Narkom nodded sympathetically, and stole a side glance at Cleek's impassive face. "'I don't doubt it, Sir Edgar,' he replied. "'But it's a dangerous thing to break into a house, you know. "'Still, there is the excuse of a forcible abduction of the young lady, perhaps. "'And if it is Miss Cheyne who is at the bottom of it, "'I don't mind trying to bluff her about burglars being in the neighbourhood, etc. "'We could say how unsafe it was with those jewels about.' He looked across at his ally for approval, and Cleek, with a little smile hovering round his lips, nodded. "'Yes, why not?' he said. "'I'd like to have another look at Chain Court by daylight and locate that abominable row.' "'Have you heard it, then?' broke in Sir Edgar hastily. "'I was beginning to think my brain was giving way, and that the old superstition was right after all.' "'What superstition is that?' asked Cleek. "'Why, Chain Court has always been supposed to be haunted by a wailing lady who presages death to the owner, and for the past week nearly everyone seems to have heard her. I refused to believe it till last night when I couldn't keep away from the place. Upon my word, the sound fairly made my blood run cold. What do you think about it, Mr. Headland?' "'A good deal, sir, and that's the truth,' responded Cleek. "'There's some villainy on foot, and I don't take heed of any wailing ladies till I see how it's done. Now, if you're ready, sir?' Sir Edgar was ready, and the three, with Dollops hovering in the background, made their way to the ill-fated abode. Silent and grim-looking, with its lower windows shuttered, an oppressive silence seemed to overhang it. This was speedily broken by their sending peal after peal from the doorbell ringing through the building. But no answer came. 
there was no sound of approaching footsteps, and Sir Edgar, pale and despairing, stepped back into the gravelled path and gazed up into the windows. As he did so, he gave a cry and pointed upward. Cleek and Narkom sprang to his side just in time to see the wrinkled and malevolent face of Miss Cheyne looking down on them. That she was bitterly angry they could see, for though they could only guess at the stream of invective pouring from her shaking lips, a frenzied fist shaken in their direction warned them that any liberties taken with her abode would be bitterly resented. She disappeared suddenly from view, and Sir Edgar turned upon his companions. "'Help me break the door down!' he cried, forgetting all caution. "'My dear girl is in there with that harridan, who has perhaps killed her for the sake of those accursed jewels. Some women would sell their very soul for diamonds, and she is one of them.' Cleek pursed up his lips and gave forth a low whistle. "'That's a fact,' he assented. "'Let's try the back.' Recognising that at least one emissary of the law was on his side, Sir Edgar darted along the terrace and on his way to the rear of the house. All the windows were shuttered and barred, but a handy brick smashed the glass of one, and their combined assaults on the time-worn shutters behind soon gave them an entry. Cleek left Dollops on guard outside. "'Don't let a single person escape, Dollops,' he said. "'Whistle if anybody attempts to come out, but don't let them go.' "'Right-o, Governor,' was the cheerful answer. "'Don't you worry. I'll put some of my tickled tooksies along here as I follows you, and it'll be a downy old bird what escapes me and them as well, what?' Cleek smiled approvingly and followed his two companions into the house, perfectly content to leave the care of the outside to Dollops. Already he could hear Sir Edgar impetuously racing from floor to floor, making the oak rafters ring with Lady Margaret's name. But no sight or sound of her rewarded his efforts. Mr. Narkom, pulling down shutter after shutter, let in the gorgeous light of day, but it was soon evident that the house was empty. Neither servants nor mistress rewarded their search. Neither did subsequent tapping and close scrutiny reveal a panel or trap-door. No cornered criminal was to be found, no gagged and bound figure of the girl they sought. There was nothing but the scamper of frightened mice behind the wainscoting. Miss Chain had disappeared before their very eyes, mysteriously, inexplicably but disappeared nevertheless. As they stood in the empty ballroom, its walls lined with age-old portraits, the furniture dusty and moth-eaten, there came a sound that made even Cleek, to whom it was no stranger, shudder. It was a low, horrible moaning, which seemed to permeate the whole house. For a moment they stood rooted to the spot in horrified silence, 
Then Sir Edgar spoke in a quaking whisper. Heavens above, what is it? Nobody answered him, for it was a question impossible to answer. All they could do was to search the house again from garret to basement, but Miss Chain had apparently disappeared as mysteriously as her niece. Whether by her own will or not, it was impossible to say. Back once more on the terrace, they were compelled to own themselves beaten, and Cleek and Mr. Narkom looked at one another in sympathetic dismay at this setback to their plans. They both had counted on coming face to face with the eccentric guardian of the girl whose life was in such evident danger. Suddenly Sir Edgar gave a little startled exclamation, and turning in the direction of his gaze, they saw the figure of a fair and slender woman running toward them. As she drew near, Cleek's heart gave a little leap of delight, for it was the woman who meant more to him than all the world. A second later he quickened his steps to meet her. "'Oh, I am so worried!' Ailsa said swiftly. I am thankful I have found you at last. It is that poor girl you drove home that night, Lady Margaret Chain, you know. I have tried so many times to see her. I have called and called, but have always been refused admittance. Now this morning I was in the lane when I saw Lady Margaret at a window, and she dropped this scrap of paper. See! She handed Cleek a little screwed-up piece of paper on which was scrawled, Miss Lorne, save me, Margaret. She was snatched away before I could call to her. What does it mean? asked Ailsa, wistfully looking from one face to the other. I should not be surprised if that dangerous stone, the purple emperor, is at the bottom of it all, said Cleek. Sir Edgar took the scrap of paper from Ailsa's fingers and read it slowly through. Then he cried vehemently, I'll save her if I commit murder fifty times over. As he spoke, he plunged along the lane, the ill-fated words lingering in their minds long after he had disappeared. It's an absolute mystery at present, said Cleek softly his chin pinched up in his hand. There must be some way of getting in and out of that house which we haven't yet fathomed, and I'd like to have a shot at finding it. I think, too, we shall have to keep an eye on our young friend Sir Edgar, or he will be getting into trouble. Never fear, Elsa, he added gently. I will save the little girl somehow but I mean to give myself the pleasure of walking back with you first. The walk was but a brief one, and Cleek on his return to the inn sent an urgent message to the towers, asking Sir Edgar to come down to him. He meant to keep a watchful eye on his movements, and prevent further trouble if possible. Dollops returned half an hour later, with the disconcerting news that the master had gone up to town. Cleek switched on his heel, alert and surprised. Gone? he said excitedly. What does that mean? 
Does he think he is going to find Lady Margaret wandering about Piccadilly Circus? Well, anyhow, he is safe up there, out of reach of doing any mad tricks. Ah, if I could only find the secret of that house, I'd go a long way toward restoring that child. Well, if you don't find it, I'll bet a tanner to a fresh errand no one will, Governor, exclaimed Dollops indignantly. There ain't no one in the world what's got your kind of brains, and that's a fact. You'll find a secret out all right, sir, if you only has patience. And in the meantime, if you don't want me any more, I'll just pop along to the restaurant and have a sandwich, for I'm that empty you can hear me ribs rattle. He left the room, and Cleek sat alone, trying to puzzle out the whole awful affair but it was like some jigsaw puzzle in which all the pieces were odd, and he did not hold the key to the solution. End of chapter 9